Welcome to On the Bench. I'm your host for this episode, Brendan Sinone, joined by Udaini, Dane Train, Draper. Dane, hello. Hello. We don't have to go over this again. We did it for the last <laughs> What up, Zach? What up, Brett? What up? Uh, so this will be the first part of a two-day-in-a-row series uh, where we take a look, an extensive look at what FSU's roster will look like in the 2023 season. I know it's really early in the offseason to be doing that, but most of the pieces FSU will be working with this upcoming year are in place, and it's a season to be excited about. FSU is getting a lot of buzz as a top 10 team, potentially top five team, depending on who you ask. Dane said there was no chance. How are you feeling about that, Dane, now that all the, the portal stuff is starting to settle in and uh, people are starting to put out their way to early top 25s? FSU's in the top five quite a bit. I, I think there's something to be said about that, how they've like exceeded our expectation and stuff, and we expected a big like portal haul, I guess. But no, I still don't think we're starting top five i think that's a bunch of a bunch of garbage brendan whoa Whoa, Whoa, we're like two minutes in (laughs) already oh boy uh but so tonight it's the young guns even myself with the gray beard uh tomorrow we will have the x's and Knowles crew trey roland coach ab kev little joined by the one the only chris knee but Chris is on Baba watch tonight, so uh, we could not pull him away from hoops, shockingly. <laughs> so as we get into FSU's uh, FSU's roster composition on offense today, again, tomorrow will be defense. Uh, there's a few things we have to talk about before we start breaking down the roster, right? Let's start off with the big news from yesterday, and that's that Patrick Sertain will be hired as FSU's defensive back coach. Uh, the search lasted a little bit more than a week. Uh, Zach and I got word yesterday that FSU had a – uh, a candidate lined up, finalized, he had to go through and, and inform everyone and do it the right way. And and then later on in the evening, ESPN reported that Patrick Sertain, uh, who you guys will know his name, maybe from his son, who's a badass cornerback in the NFL. You might be old enough like myself to know Patrick Sertain when he was a badass himself playing cornerback for the Miami Dolphins. He was a high school coach for American Heritage for about a decade, rolled out some really dominant teams there, produced a lot of high caliber players who played on Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, and also, he's been an assistant with the Miami Dolphins this year. So uh, uh, quite the resume for Patrick Sertain. He has not coached at the college level, but uh, a resume to be excited about. Uh, Dane and Brett, let's start with you guys. What was your reaction? Dane, I'll throw this to you. When you first found out, when you saw the Twitter feed or the text, and I'm not sure how you found out, but whenever you saw Patrick Sertain's name uh, emerge as the guy, uh, what was your initial reaction? Yeah, I definitely excited. I think it's kind of it's a bit of like an out of the out, out, thinking outside of the box kind of hire, which is cool. You know, you were looking at someone that was either going to be a good like you put in writing, you said a good technician or someone who can be like a dog recruiter in South Florida specifically. And um, and with Patrick Sertan, uh, I think that yeah, you got it right. Yeah. Thank you. Um, oh, by the way, I always want to say Sam Madison because. Miami Dolphins coach. They play cornerback together. I'm a like head. friends. Yeah. yeah. So in my mind, I want to say Patrick Sertain, Sam Madison, both had sons. Sertan. Yeah. I, my my Sertain. point was, if we're going to, he's going to be our coach, you know, you got to like, you got to start saying it right at some point. So let's start practicing that now. Um, I'm, I'm Sertan. Sertan that I can say it correctly. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Perfect. Um, but, you know, I think he, he can fill both of those. He has so, he has endless ties in South Florida. He's such a credible rec- credible reputable name in south florida he has this you know history as as a pro bowl cornerback in the nfl um and you know he's he's been a coach down there at american heritage which kind of lends itself to the recruiting side but you you know he can coach and be the technician too i think it 
there's a lot of encouragement uh, that he can be at least. Right. So, yeah. what, a, right. what about you with your with your really cool hipster glasses? Tell us. Tell us. What do you? Where did you have your glasses on when you were scrolling through the text thread? And you're like, oh my god, it's Patrick Sertain. Yeah. Sertain. For sure. Sertain. I was certain certainly uh, surprised at first, but um, like Dane said, excited and. Um, it's just someone that everyone's going to know the name and it's going to be recognizable. And like, I think you wrote about it a little bit. It just checks off a lot of the boxes that they were looking for in a candidate for the spot. So definitely excited, uh, for that move. All right, Zachary, uh, we were chasing the story, but you were like a dog with a bone on this one, right? Yeah. Okay. So let's talk, <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk about it in between all the Daryl Jackson, a hoopla and debacle. Once the dust settled there, everyone was like, let's talk about the DB coach hire. Uh, and we were like, all right, I guess let's start reporting on it. So let's go through the process, what we knew about this uh, this hire. Uh, we were fortunate to get the name, I guess, shortly before, but we didn't know if for sure if it was going to be Pat uh, Sertain. Sertan, got it. Uh, so let us know the background a little bit, please, of, of how this all came to be. Yeah, so obviously Marcus Woodson, Florida State's previous uh, DB coach leaves for Arkansas to be their co-defensive coordinator a little bit over a week ago. And the search began then um, for a new DB coach. At first, we thought that the title was going to be just a corners coach because that's what FSU is kind of looking for since Adam Fuller, the defensive coordinator, already coaches safeties for for Florida State. Um, But we learned actually within the last few days that uh, the, the job title would be secondary coach, which we believe um, probably is tied to the ability to pay that uh, position or allocate more money to that position, um, which is what we expect to happen um, with the Pat Sertan, Sertan hire. Um, Friend is trying to uh, <laughs> confuse me, but yeah. So early on in the search, I heard that Mike Norvell was active among his coaching tree both on his staff um, and elsewhere. He was also at the AFCA, I think it's called, AFCA coaching convention over there in Charlotte over the weekend. And I believe that led actually into Monday and Tuesday as well. So was around a bunch of coaches. Uh, I think him and Adam Fuller, who I'll talk about in a second, actually conducted some interviews uh, either there or virtually there um, over the past few days. There was a good amount of candidates. Um, As we noted on the site multiple times, there were a lot of uh, people across the country, a lot of defensive back coaches interested in this position, both at power five uh, spots, you know, maybe G five, um, some guys that are, you know, currently jobless looking for jobs that have been at power fives before um, and former players. We're all interested in this position, uh, which is different than what we've seen kind of um, under Norvell's tenure here so far. Right. Um, I think, uh, you know, to start off, there were a good amount of, uh, uh, there was a good amount of interest because of Norvell's, you know, reputation of building up his coaches and his coaches going on and becoming, you know, successful um, coordinators and then head coaches down the line. Um, and I think that kind of went away with FSU struggles on the field the first few years under Norvell. But after a 10-3 season, you get some juice and you're able to go out and try and hire a dude um, to, to come in and, and replace Marcus Woodson. And I think they did that with Pat Sertan. Um, wanted to note, I think Adam Fuller had a huge say in this hire. Um, he, like I noted before, is involved in coaching the secondary. That's one of his specialties. Um, that's, you know, his position group, I believe, is the safeties on the defense. So 
Um, I was told that Mike Norvell gave him a lot of uh, say in the hire. Uh, I believe he conducted interviews himself and uh, they, they ran through a bunch of candidates and came down to, to Mr. Sertan, um, who was at, you know, obviously working for the Miami Dolphins, still working with the Dolphins um, in their playoff run. He's expected to join FSU staff after that ends on Sunday. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Adam Fuller, the king of the portal and maybe the king of the hiring process, because I think he nailed this. I do think like we as a the collective, we as like media are actually pretty awful at uh, we're good at analyzing some things, uh, but we're pretty bad at analyzing coaching hires. I feel like we all kind of do the same thing. Go and look at a guy's resume of of uh, it's a hard thing to do. It, it, it is. It's easier to go and turn on a huddle and be like, oh, this kid can play football or not, at least yeah. for me. Um, and there's so much of this that is about fit, right? And you can even make a, a hire that makes sense on paper. Uh, and then it doesn't work out for whatever reason. It just didn't fit. I uh, just didn't catch some breaks, whatever. Uh, so we're evaluating this solely on paper, right? Like there's, there's nothing else we can do. <laughs> and especially with Pat Sertan, like I got it right that time. Uh, you can only, you can only do it's projection because he hasn't coached at the college level. But the resume is impressive. You have some experience coaching in the NFL this year. Uh, Dolphins DBs were doing pretty good before a bunch of injuries. Uh, he obviously played the position at an extremely high level in the NFL. His son is an elite cornerback in the NFL. I took him in my GM league a year ago. GM of the year. What are we going to do? First round pick, top 10. Um, and I think that like kind of shows like, okay, like his, his son is probably a better cornerback in the NFL than than, than Pat was and Pat was like an all pro. Um, so that shows you a level of like, he can pass that on and, and teach him some things. So that's good. But the American heritage background, Zach, let's talk about that real quick uh, because we focused on this hire being uh, one of the two aspects can be either technician, which I think Pat Sertan's going to have that ability to do it based on what he's done in the NFL. Uh, but then two, like, could he recruit South Florida? And he hasn't recruited at the college level. However, you know as well as I do, there is a ton of recruiting that high school coaches have to do in South Florida. American Heritage among the best, uh, among the best in that region of getting guys to come play for their schools. So, what do we think Pat offers in terms of a recruiting acumen, connections? Maybe is is that a big part of this hire? Yeah, definitely. I've actually been um, Dane, Chris, and I have put up a recruit reaction story to the hire. Um, 10 plus recruits already reacted um, either defensive backs or guys that are in South Florida um, have all you know reacted to the news and it's all been pretty positive. Um, you know, I know, you know, in talking to some people down there uh, within the last day since the hire was not made official, but um, since we confirmed it was happening after the Pete Thamel report yesterday, um, people are really optimistic about it. Uh, I, I know that he has obviously a lot of relationships, Sertan does, at American Heritage, being the head coach there, winning three state titles. Um, and he coached up, you know, a lot of guys that FSU fans should be familiar with, Brian Burns, Tavares McFadden, um, guys that went to other schools that are, you know, that are in the NFL, uh, Tyson Campbell, um, his son, obviously, Pat Sertan, the second junior, um, Aronde Gadsden at Syracuse, James Houston, Will Allen, Marco Wilson, um, Devontae Brown who's now going to Miami, Marvin Jones Jr. Like the, the list goes on and on. They've had dudes at, at that school and he's built a lot of inroads because of that um, in the South Florida community. And he has respect at other schools. He's really close friends with ho head coaches at 
um, Chaminade, St. Thomas Aquinas, um, other powerhouses in South Florida. So schools yeah. that FSU is trying to get yeah, in exactly. with consistently yeah. drew players from. Yeah. They, they landed a guy like Edwin Joseph, who was one of the quickest guys to respond to the hire. Um, <laughs> I think he was ecstatic. He was made aware of it. Um, he told us a little bit before uh, he had told us that he was made aware a little bit before of the hire um, before it became public. So, yeah, um, he, he's excited. He's obviously out of Shamanah Madonna, um, the school I just mentioned. So, yeah, a lot of excitement in South Florida about this hire. Um, I think the one thing that, you know, questions me a little bit, and I want to get your guys' thoughts on this, is like, is this considered a gamble because he's not a guy that's coached at the college level and has recruited at the college level? Because, you know, there's a lot of you know, skills that come with that. Um, obviously, you can build some of that skill uh, being a head coach in a talent rich area like South Florida, like you were mentioning, Brendan, but is this a guy that might take, might need some, uh, some, you know, acclimation period to getting used to this recruiting at this level? Yeah. It's not a surefire. Like, you know, that he can do it. You, you think he can, I'm sure Mike, Nor Mike Norvell is a really good evaluator of coaching talent. So let's call it a, a calculated gamble. Yeah. Maybe no, I don't I, think it's, yeah, I don't think it's super risky. Yeah. I, I think it's, yeah, there's no such thing as a sure thing when you're hiring a coach, uh, especially one, again, like I'm not going to gloss over that he hasn't coached at the college level, but I am excited. Like I think uh, of the names that we started to get and started to see kind of trickle out um, after the initial hot board, which is really just connecting dots initially, right? Like when we started yeah. seeing some of the names, like that was the one that got me excited because of what it can be. Maybe not what it is right now, but what, what Pat Sertan can end up becoming. Uh, God, I, I'm nailing it now. Sertan, Sertan, Sertan. Um, what it could end up becoming like in a couple of years down the road. I, I think right away it gives you credibility, like you mentioned, Zach, in South Florida, that's huge. Uh, but he's someone who knows how to play the position and seems to know how to coach the position based on all the defensive backs uh, that he's he's turned out at the high school level and now uh, in college. It's probably one of my buddies is a Dolphins fan and, and he's on all the Dolphins, like insider boards and stuff like that. This isn't a report. <laughs> this is just me uh, talking about a friend who's on a message board and, and pays for like, different discords and whatnot but like apparently he's uh well respected with what he did with the dolphins this year and, and helped sam madison out there so yeah I, I think um i think it's a good hire i think it's a really good hire with with a ton of upside like it it, it, it has legitimate a plus upside uh if you hit on this which yeah mike's a gambler like he he takes risks he risked it all on jordan travis this year and it paid off so uh mike is no stranger to uh or no, not gun shy uh, to to roll in the dice a little bit. Uh, anything else we want to talk about with the, the DB high before we move on to some more news that's been happening in the, the news before we get to the offensive breakdown? No. Move All right. On. Yeah. Um, let's talk about uh, a news that happened earlier in the day yesterday, and that was the commitment of South Carolina defensive end Gilbert Edmond, uh, another name that I struggle with because I want to put a T at the end of it, but it's Gilbert uh, he was a starting defensive end for South Carolina this past year. He announced he's going to transfer to FSU. Uh, believe he'll be enrolled if not if it hasn't already happened on Wednesday by the end of this week. So you got him FSU. Like this is a four-star, high upside defensive end. I don't even know if he's going to start, fellas. Uh, but he's someone who was really, really solid at times this year for South Carolina. He's grown a ton in the last few years. We talked about before in the podcast. I think he was like a 210-pound high school senior. He's six foot five, 250 pounds currently as a redshirt sophomore. This is a multi-year player for FSU. This is not a, a 
plug and play starting lineup guy necessarily. He could potentially start. He started for an SEC team this past year and was replacement level. Uh, but you have him for two years. So uh, with Jared Verse coming back, with Derek McClendon coming back, this affords you some ample depth and positional versatility at a premier position, at one of the most important positions to have on the field. Uh, Zach, let's get your thoughts on how this recruitment unfolded. Yeah, so Florida State was the first school to host Gilbert Edmond during the four-day transfer uh, visit window last week on January 4th. That was a Wednesday. He stayed into Thursday before leaving to go to UF for the rest of that day on Thursday and into Friday. And then I believe he spent the, the rest of the weekend at LSU. Don't think he made it to a previously planned visit to Ole Miss, which was another school that we had heard uh, could be in contention. Um, but this one ultimately boiled down to Florida State versus LSU. And I kind of wrote about this yesterday, or actually this morning um, on the site, that I think this is kind of an underrated uh, pickup for Florida State, like an underrated win. Um, I think a lot of people kind of glossed over it just because he's not a guy that maybe is, you know, as hyped as Jared Verse or Jermaine Johnson um, you know, coming in. But I think he's a guy that helps this program a ton. Um, and another thing that happened during this recruitment is that FSU star edge rusher Jared Verse announced he was returning for another season uh, in the midst of this one. So, you know, if you want to talk about what other schools can use to negative recruit against Florida State, that's probably what it was, right? Um, you can say you're not even going to play. Jared Verse is coming back. They already have a, 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 you know, solid rotation. You can come here and play right away at UF or LSU. So, yeah, I think it was a big, big win for Mike Norvell, John Papuchis, Adam Fuller um, to land Edbin. And he's a guy that can maybe bridge the gap a little bit and maybe grow within the program along with some of the younger guys like a Patrick Payton who won the ACC Defensive Rookie of the Year award this past year. And then um, a guy like Byron Turner, who's been injured, but has shown some promise. And if he has some time to develop, could be a dude for you down the line. Um, I think it's a big, big get um, a guy that can, uh, maybe not, you know, be guaranteed starting uh, capability right away, but can definitely compete for that um, throughout spring and then fall camp and into into this upcoming season where FSU obviously wants to to beef up, beef up their depth along the defensive line um, because we know that kind of got uh, tested a little bit this, this past season. Yeah, being able to push uh, Byron Turner down to your fifth defensive end instead of your fourth and allow him to kind of uh, evolve at his own pace, I think is is a really nice part of this. Uh, Brett, what do you like about about Edmonds' game? I guess what stand out to you in, in watching uh, some of him? I think that just I think Kevin's hit on it before that this staff does a good job of getting guys that <clears throat> that have things that you can't really teach, and I think the length and the the lateral movement and the ability to take up space in the field that he gives you on the edge um, is something that you can't really teach and because you get a guy like Verse back and all the depth, like like Zach was saying, uh, you can take a chance on on the ceiling and have him develop in that room for a while. Dane informs me in the chat that he has nothing special to say, so I don't feel great about going to Dane here. Let's talk real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk real quick about the the portal uh, acquisitions in general. Then Dane, FSU has the number one class in the country, I believe, at this moment uh, for transfer portals. Just like what has FSU done? in the portal through this cycle. And we believe this is it for like pre-spring. We don't think FSU is going to add anyone unless like a, a really good safety or a linebacker, uh, someone else who's too good to, to pass up on emerges. I think this is it uh, through spring. What have you seen from FSU's collective efforts in the portal in the last month or so? What stood out to you, man? 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I've talked with Zach about this a lot and like something they do really well is getting in on guys so early and getting visits really quickly. Like a guy like Fentrell Cypress, who by the end of his, I'm going to clear my throat now. So you don't, <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> so, okay. So a guy like Fentrell Cypress, who he visits UCLA and Florida state ultimately. And those are the only two teams he even visits, but he's probably the best corner in the entire portal and by the end of his recruitment by the time he does commit to florida state like ohio state lsu are very seemingly very invested in trying to get him and uh and they and they don't have a chance to they can't get him on campus because florida state was in so early and they had their pitch and it just seems like something that's something that they've done really well in general and and, and consistently is just getting in on guys early and uh yeah selling that yeah, something Dane and I talked about as well is like, what's Florida State's? I might do an article on this. What's Florida State's hit rate when they get a transfer portal prospect on campus? I think it's almost a hundred percent. Devonte Brown's the only guy that comes to mind that they missed on that they hosted for an OB. Um, I can't think of any others off the top of my head. Can you, Brendan? Their hit rate. I'm trying to think. I'm stalling as we think of it, but I think their hit rate in general for official visits late in the cycle is usually really, really good. Uh, we've learned that they don't really waste time on guys that they think they have like an outside shot at. Like it's all pretty much coin flip propositions at worst. Um, I mean, I'm going back to like the 2020 offseason. There was a tight end from UNC who ended up being like the number tw- number two tight end in Alabama. He was like a blocking tight end. I can't remember the name right now, but he showed up randomly. We didn't know who he was at first, and he ended up getting an Alabama offer. Um, there's not a ton of transfers who show up that they don't go in on. Yeah, um, and like specifically this cycle, it's been like a pretty absurd hit rate. You know what else is kind of cool with that got me thinking, Zach? Uh, the amount of teams that they've beaten for guys is really impressive. Like Braden Fist, they legitimately beat out USC and Notre Dame. Notre Dame was heartbroken on that one. Yeah. They lost a guy from, from 20 minutes away. Like it made them reconsider like the whole like, NIL landscape of, of where they're at. Like FSU's gotten thinking on it. Um, we saw the Daryl Jackson pursuit, like how much Miami wanted Daryl Jackson. That's well documented at this point. Uh, Dane outlined the outlined this Central Cypress recruitment really well. Uh, LSU in Florida wanted Gilbert Edmond uh, really badly. I mean, you go across the board. Yeah, Kyle Maybe Morlock with Tennessee, Jaheim Bell with USC. Um, like, uh, uh, Jeremiah um, Byers with Oregon, Ohio State, and Maryland. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so FSU is recruiting at what I would call an FSU level uh, in the transfer portal, and we'll see if that translates over to 2024 cycle now. But you kind of see, I think, some of the juice uh, of what they have from this season kind of translate over to to legit like momentum, not fake momentum, real legitimate momentum on the recruiting trail. Um, speaking of transfer portal, let's talk. Uh, the transfer portal giveth, the transfer portal taketh. Malik McLean entered the transfer portal today. Uh, funny story, we had kind of we'd report on Rules 24-7 that he was someone we don't like to put out a ton of names unless we feel decent about it, uh, because players are I think evaluating their options quite a bit. Uh, but this is one we felt decent about putting out there that there was something to it. I think the indication was that he was coming back and and then that changed and uh, he wanted to weigh his options, uh, and that ended up happening a couple of weeks later. He entered the transfer portal today. It's a guy who's had you know, a couple hundred receiving yards each of the last two seasons, was a four-star recruit, someone who's in the rotation, but his his playing time uh, did decrease this year. He went from a full-time starter to a part-time starter. Uh, and so anyways, we had, the, we had the story in the system 
but I didn't know we had a story in the system. I forgot I'd actually written it like two weeks ago and I made Brett and Zach write something before realizing Brett, how far along were you in writing something when I demanded you to get a show going while I was getting up from my nap? Zach was already doing it. I thought I was yeah, confused. It was, it was you my were like fault. demanding all the wrong people pretty much. Yeah. I had it. I had it all done. Um, no, I actually, I think I had like the title done, but I went into like the little article thing and see if Brendan had written anything. Cause I know his old mind, you know, kind of leaves him a laugh sometimes so it wanders um, it yeah. wanders um but it was good that we had something but yeah hey, good on you for you know obviously not a not a situation that we'd like to see right we don't want any uh you know, starting caliber guy to um depart the program but um i think we warned fsu fans kind of beforehand that he was the guy that was uh, at least thinking about uh, exploring his options this, this is an interesting one where there's a, i feel like a, a fairly sizable disconnect between us covering the team and being there daily versus I, I think that not even, I don't want to say the casual fan, like just, just the pretty like avid fan who, who watches games and is on the message board. Um, I, I don't know what the disconnect is, but like, I think it's because Dane, myself, all of us have a, like a man crush on Darren Williamson and we've seen what Kentron Poitier can do. Uh, I would rather much rather have Malik McLean. I'll be totally honest. Like when we had heard about this being a possibility, I was kind of thinking it was a good thing to open up. I'd rather have Malik McClay, but I think there's some positive silver linings. Maybe what I should say to allow Darian Williamson, Kentron Portier, and and maybe like a Hakeem Williams to have more at bats this season. I I think there's something to that. I'm not sure if you guys feel similarly, uh, but that was kind of my first inclination. We start hearing rumblings of Malik McClain disgruntled, not disgruntlement, just wanting to look, uh, elsewhere potentially for a more stabilized role yeah um i think i don't know i think malik mclean could go stride like be in a better system um from what i've seen like his game is a little bit limited like he's good at um being a, a threat downfield right like straightforward straight straight is what he does yeah. yeah um the lateral stuff i would prefer some of the other guys like a darian williamson or a kentron portier um and then obviously you've got some talented slots like a Micah Pittman returning. And then Winston Wright, who's a guy that we didn't get to see in 2022, who I'm really excited to see um, if he can get back up to, to full health like he was at West Virginia. I mean, he was billed as your top receiver transfer coming in last year and you didn't even get to use him. And that was a that was one of the best uh, you know groups on the team, the, the receiver core. So, yeah, um, to me, it's like Malik McLean made some clutch catches. Um, he was a, a guy you could um typically count on to come down with a big time uh play but wasn't a guy that was you know breaking games open like a johnny wilson and um you know i think this could could benefit both sides i don't i don't think they're you know this could be a situation where both sides aren't a loser um they could both win um you know florida state could go get some more playing time for a guy like darion like you said and then maybe um you know put hakeem into more of a star role early on in his career, whereas Malik McLean can go find a fit um, where he can be a, a receiver one or two elsewhere. Um, Cause he, I think he only started like three games in 2022. Um, and that was a huge drop off from his uh, fr- true freshman season where he started, I believe 11 games. So um, yeah, I think, I think uh, both sides could win here. I just think it also shows how big of a change there was in that room last season in the portal because I think McLean at the end of last season was probably wide receiver one before all that portaling happens and 
now the next season he's entering the portal because he's not able to get enough reps himself. So just the entire change that Ruben over the last year. Yeah. When it, it paints a picture of what FSU has done in the transfer portal last year and just how much the depth changed almost overnight. And then what you've brought in with some of the younger players and some of the development, it, this is going to be a theme as we get into the offensive breakdown portion of this podcast. And um, that's that FSU finds a weakness. They identify it and they don't allow it to fester for multiple years. I think that that is the takeaway. If we're looking at the wide receiver position and, and kind of the big picture of the Malik McLean departure. Uh, and we're going to see that trend repeat itself over and over again in the next 30 minutes or so here. So Let's get into the offensive breakdown for 2023, fellas. It is going to be, uh, in my opinion, a stacked offense. Uh, it's We're looking at an offense that was top 10 nationally in yards per play, uh, that was top 20 nationally in points per game. Uh, it was both top 10 nationally in yards per rush and yards per pass, so super balanced, efficiency, top 15 nationally. Jordan Travis, quarterback one, uh, was legitimately quarterback one for PFF. He was number one rated. Uh, quarterback uh, in the PFF overall grade in the power five level. Uh, and most of it's coming back. You bring back Trey Benson, you bring back Johnny Wilson. We're going to get into all this. Uh, you, you bring up most of your, uh, of your firepower from this past year. Uh, what Dane did, would you say that Florida state did well this past season? Like if you had to say, this was their identity, this is what they, they did at a high level and, and they can really like, this was their bread and butter. Uh, what would you say it was in 2022 as we do a little reflective? I think it's almost hard to say because they were so balanced, which might be the correct answer there. Yeah. Um, they were so balanced and they were so, so good at, at both running the ball and passing the ball. And they were so explosive in both of those two. I mean, they were probably, I mean, were they the most explosive team in the entire country? I think they uh, were. I, I could pull up their, I mean, they have to be in the top five. Let me pull up their. Uh, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, that, that probably starts with Jordan Travis because. Uh, Sorry, Dane. Georgia beat them with 98 because okay. of TCU just yeah. shit in the bed. Uh, 98, right. 20, 98 uh, plays of 20-plus yards. Florida State had 97. Okay, and they had a full extra, extra game. At two extra games, actually. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the balance they have there, and that's probably true because of Jordan Travis and him being so versatile and being so dynamic. But uh, it's hard to say exactly what they did so well because they were so balanced, and I think that's its own answer. Brett, coming to you unfairly, what did FSU suck at this past season on offense? I don't think they really sucked at anything, but besides maybe reds, just in the red zone execution, uh, especially earlier in the season when they struggled like at NC State and other games in that three-game stretch. And, you know, obviously there is just some blunders early in the, I think, what other games, LSU, the red zone plays and the... Uh, <laughs> the toss uh, play? Yeah, and uh, the... That first half of Georgia Tech, too, I think, was some pretty bad red zone play. So I think if there was one glaring weakness, it'd have to be that. It's funny. The red zone offense, it was atrocious in the first half of the year. It was one of the worst in the country. And it didn't make sense because they were pretty good at it uh, the first two years under Mike Norvell, uh, especially the year before. But they ended up finishing 60th nationally. I'd be interested in going back and doing some splits on what they were in the back half of the year. Uh, Zach, remember how much they started practicing uh, in the red zone in the back half of the season. Again, they, they saw an issue uh, that time they would usually allocate to like a tempo drill or something like that at the start of practice when they went good on good. Start spending a ton of time in the red zone uh, and it seemed to, to pay off. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, we've seen them do that a lot, right? If they're, if they're 
struggling with something offensively um, or defensively, they're gonna they're gonna test their guys in practice, which is what you know you'd hope any good coach is doing. Um, but yeah, I agree with Brett. I think one of the biggest weaknesses was was red zone play, and I think uh, a lot of the stuff they were doing offensively, um, the the plays that would go negative, you know, some of that stuff was was blocking up front by the O line or lack thereof. I think some of that was kind of lackluster tight end play at some at some points, especially in the in the blocking game. So, you know, you hope bringing in guys like we'll talk about them later, Kyle Morlock and Jaheim Bell will, will help uh, alleviate that problem a little bit. OK, let's get into the position by position breakdown as we look what FSU has coming back and, and what the roster will look like in 2023. We're going to start at quarterback before we do every single uh, position group, each segment. We will play a little Byer Sinone at the end. Uh, guys, who presents Byer Sinone? The Turner Group. The Turner Group. The Turner Game Group. Show. show it to him. Yeah, he got he on the it. first one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we want to thank Colin and Amy Turner of the Turner Group, a real estate company in Central Florida. Uh, Colin is doing some work right now. He's helping some people find some apartments. And guess what? It's not just in Central Florida. Yes, that's where they're based out of. Uh, but they can help you find a home in, in Tallahassee. If, you, if you're a parent whose student is enrolled at FSU and struggling to find like permanent residency, uh, let Colin know. He can help you find out. He's got a wide array of sources who can help out. Damn. Give him a call. At, yeah. yeah. We need to hire him. He's connected. We have. Are you, you, well, anyways, 407-403-8546. Or you can email Colin at getstartedatthetournergroup.com. Also, Colin, I'm going to send you some rye because uh, I got a sample set for you that I think you'll enjoy. So sorry, Colin. All right, let's get into it. Position by position breakdown on offense quarterback. It starts with J Trav fellas, right? Like that's, that's the, the straw that stirs the drink. Uh, do straws really stir drinks anymore? They're disposable. I don't know. Like my drink, no straw. What if it's a paper straw? Oh, I hate paper straws. Tur- sea turtles are just going to have to deal. No, that's probably not correct. That's Sorry. Really I agree with you, Brennan. You what? Yes! Let's start an anti-sea turtle <laughs> movement right now. Let's go. We're going to get um, canceled. I'm like 80% joking, but yeah. I mean, they need to find something better than that. The, the metal straws or the whatever, the, the steel straws, a little bit better. Pretty the paper usable. ones, yeah. I got. I have no use for those at all. Um, no. And the sea turtles, if, if we can find a compromise with the reusable straws, I think we'll be okay. All right, Jordan uh, Travis. Jordan Travis, quarterback one. Yeah, he had a remarkable season for the Seminoles. Uh, someone that I, I think all four of us were at practice. We all see similar things. I don't think we disagree a ton on anything. So some of this is going to be bad, bad podcasting that we all uh, have kind of a similar view of what we're seeing. Uh, but sometimes that could be a good thing if you're all kind of checking the boxes, uh, you know, Chris Neism, uh if you're all seeing the same thing, so I'm trying to find Jordan Travis's stats from uh, this past year. Um, we're all, we all saw Jordan Travis look good in camp, and we saw the offense starting to get tailored to his skill set in a way that that felt really good in the preseason. But you never know like what kind of jump someone's going to make or just how much progress they're going to have, like if it's going to carry over onto Saturdays. And for Jordan Travis, it did. He completed 64% of his passes for – 3,214 yards. He had 24 touchdowns, five interceptions, five interceptions. That's good for a passer rating of 160.11, uh, which was 14th nationally. His yard per attempt average was 9.1. He was one of the most explosive passers through the air uh, this past year while keeping the ball safe with only five interceptions. So he did a lot well 
Uh, Brett, I'll, I'll start off with you because you were at a ton of preseason practices, got to see Jordan Travis from the beginning to where he is now. I guess what stood out to you the most about his growth, I guess, over the last couple years, but especially this past year, I guess, what stood out? I think the thing that stands out the most improvement-wise is maybe the deep ball, just the way he's able to basically put it wherever he wants. Most of the season, there weren't that many that he missed, it seems like. I mean, the one to Johnny that Johnny makes the great catch on against Oklahoma – I mean, it couldn't be in any in any better of a spot, um, but also just the way he manages the offense and gets them in the right spots a lot of the time. I think the coaches talk about it a lot, just the checks he makes at the line and the way he's developed into that kind of game manager and being able to get you know everyone around him in the right positions at the right time, I think has been huge for this offense. We got to talk about JTrav for Heisman.com. Everyone wanted to make fun of me. When I was calling him JTrav two and a half years ago, we actually had someone cancel their Knowles 24-7 subscription because I was writing about quote-unquote JTrav too much. I forget your username. If you are listening to this, I hope you feel like an idiot right now. I hope you're just ashamed of yourself and how big of a baby you are. Look me in the eyes. He's staring at like the red dot on his laptop saying that. That's so funny. It's actually a green dot. You know, also green when dot. someone says, look at me in the eyes, you can only look at one eye at once. You can't look at two eyes at once. It's impossible to do. It's difficult. <laughs> but what do we think, fellas? I'm going to throw this to Dane. What do we think like this is the next step for Jordan Travis? He's coming back. He is getting some preseason, uh, offseason Heisman buzz. What are we looking for him to like take the next step? Like, What is what does his evolution look like to you? What can it be? It's hard to say because he, I mean, his physical ceiling is somewhat limited from, from like an, his arm strength and that sort of thing. And he was just so good. But I think when he struggled was maybe his composure at certain parts of the year. And and you could probably say that that didn't prove over the year too, like in the Florida game. And he, um, he did stay composed and, and he wasn't playing upset to the point where it affected him. Like maybe we saw in the NC state game or something, but um, if there's anywhere, I guess it'd be then it'd be there. But mm-hmm. I think it's, it's a point to be said too, that, you know, I, I don't know how much he really can grow if he plays as well as he did this year. And he did that again with a better team around him, more talent around him, like the tight end position that of course we'll talk about then in another year of guys around him getting better, maybe a better offensive line, even um, then maybe he can win the Heisman or something just off of that. But, uh, but it's hard to say he can get, or he will be better than he is or where he would even be better. My thing is how can we cap what Jordan Travis can accomplish? It's a good question. Look what we've seen already. This dude, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jay Trav, but he could not throw a football into the wind. It was years ago. It was a thing. I, and he's I, a, he's a Heisman preseason Heisman candidate now. Like, what do we like? This dude like c- could surprise all of us like he's already done and go and and take his game to another level. Um, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I don't think we should cap what Jordan Travis can accomplish. It, you know what I think gets him to another level, Zach is, and Dane touched on this point, but like I think at the end of 2021. I don't know if he was markedly better this past season than he was at the end of 2021. I He was better. Don't get me wrong. But like he made his big stride. He made a huge stride from 2019 to 2020. And then a huge stride from uh, even early on in 2021 to the end of it. I think what really helped him out was the better supporting cast. Like I think yeah. that helped 
make his his statistics just that much better, helped him calm down a little bit, him feel like he didn't have to force things sometimes. And so now the next step, I, I think part of that, uh, in addition to what Dane mentioned, is like the supporting cast elevating with him. And we're going to get to that. Like everyone coming back pretty much with the the transfer portal additions we've had, that is the next step is, is to support him with a legitimate uh, championship caliber uh, uh, cast. Like, I, I think that's, I think that's what we see next is if you can give him weapons all over the place and give him good options, two or three, every single play, instead of just having maybe one, depending on what the coverage dictates or, or giving him more time, that kind of stuff. That's the next step that I, I think they're going to get there. Um, do we want to talk about the depth at quarterback? Like, like we all really like Jordan Travis. I don't think we have to spend a lot of time. Like he is the offense. Uh, he stayed healthy this year though. Uh, outside of uh, the Louisville game, and, and we'll get to Tate Rodemaker in a second here. Like he stayed healthy, and that was huge. Like he eliminated taking a lot of hits. He got rid of the ball. The sack rate for Florida State went from like eight, almost nine percent uh, of dropbacks two seasons ago to this past season to like four and a half. Like it got cut in half. Uh, and the offensive line was better, but Jordan Travis was better at getting rid of the football. Uh, so he he stopped taking less hits. Wasn't running as much, uh, even as like a design runner, unless he had to. Uh, so you only, only lose him for one game, which is going to be huge. He has to be available for you to get where you want to be in 2023. Uh, but how about Tate Rodemaker? Like, what do we think? Uh, I will throw this to, I don't know who wants to talk about Tate Rodemaker and his, his progress that we saw and no one really wants to, I can tell Brett's smirking already. Uh, who wants to talk Brett's, about Tate Rodemaker? Brett's jumping at the bit. I don't, I don't know if he is. He, no, he's shaking his head. Brett's out on this. Brett's out. I got we it. We need Kev to pop up the Heisman photo. <laughs> we do need kept up that that's a cringy Heisman photo. It's uh, unsettling. Um, Zach, you got this. So let's talk about like what Tate Rodemaker, whether that game last year uh, is a potential like jumping off point, a, a propelling point for this upcoming season. Like, do we do we bank on Tate Rodemaker if you have to play him for two or three games this season? Do we think he can win you those games? I think it depends on who, first of all. Okay. Yeah. Right. Fair. If you're playing him against Clemson or LSU, maybe not. If it's against Virginia Tech and Miami, uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, but I think uh, I think Tate, in my eyes, I'm more comfortable going into this year um, if he has to start a game or two or three. Right? If J. Trav um, goes down, and you know, God forbid he doesn't, but if that happens, I think you're at least I'm a little bit more comfortable um after seeing what he did in the louisville game right tate's not perfect um he's not an elite quarterback but he's a guy that we've seen in practice improve um he's not someone that uh you know has stayed on the same trajectory throughout his entire career you know when he first got into the program uh was not you know a guy that impressed much in practice to us um but has kind of steadily built his game up a little bit um, has understood the offense more, which I think has helped. And then, like we talked about before, there's a better supporting cast um, at the, you know, especially in the receiver room. Um, so he's a guy that I think, uh, at least for me, I'm a little bit more comfortable with him, um, you know, maybe stepping in for, for a few games if, if needed. Um, I guess, you know, either of you guys, what are your thoughts on kind of just Tate's uh, ascension? Um, and where you think his game is at uh, and what the kind of drop-off would be if, you know, any, um, obviously there would be, but um, the drop-off from, you know, Jay Trav to Tate, if, if he was needed to step in um, in the, in the 2023 season. 
Yeah, I mean, the drop-off is really big because JT or Jordan Travis is really a fantastic college quarterback, but Tate Rodemaker is not, you know, he's not this incompetent guy who can't, who can't get it done and do what's needed. I think, uh, like you said, the supporting cast around him, that's something we keep mentioning, but that improving really should improve him too. And outside of the players around him, like having Mike Norvell as your, as your, coach and in your ear you know the game plans he puts together I think I think that helps him too like I, I trust you can say you trust Tate Rodemaker in a pinch but I trust Mike Norvell in a pinch as well to give Tate Rodemaker a game plan you know to succeed um and that's that's really important that, that's that's like equally as important as anything, you know, he's not some stubborn Mike Norvell is not a stubborn head coach that is going to stick to exactly what he's been doing. He will adapt to Tate's strengths when he needs to. And I, and I trust that. I was just going to add to your point about the supporting cast and just that you don't live and die by Jordan. Now, like this offense just used to be on Jordan's escapability and him prolonging plays for the offense and the wide receivers to get open and, now I think you don't you don't live and die by Jordan's uh, dynamic I guess his dynamic play like you have other people you can hand the ball off to throw it to if he goes out of the game and you feel like you'll be comfortable with that. Oh, hi guys, what I miss? Oh, let's move on to kind of talking <laughs> about you know maybe some of the other depth pieces in the quarterback room. Ooh, I got it. Uh, let's let's do a little buyer Sonome. Brock Glenn starts more games in FSU career in his FSU career. Good typing there, Brendan. Then Tate Rodermaker and AJ Duffy combined. So buyers know Brock Lund, more starts than Rodermaker and Duffy combined. Combined? Mm-hmm. So no. Does is the implication there that everyone would say yes if you just said AJ Duffy? I don't know. I didn't think that deeply about it, Dane. Oh. Answer the Tate, question, Dane. Um I, I, uh well if Jordan Travis gets hurt, I feel like, uh, you know, Jordan Travis's health here is a big and, you know, it's very influential to this question. But I think I think I want to say bye. I like Brock Glenn a lot. Whoa. Ooh, I do, too. I had a dream about him the other night. That's okay. 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 We're at tour duty, and he was slinging Brett. the ball around. He was all said, sweaty. And I'm going to buy. I'm going to buy. No! I'm going to buy. <laughs> Wow, you guys, that's a crazy buy, no? Brocklin's going to start more games than Tate Rodemaker right. and back, A.J. Duffy combined. Up. We'll try to follow Dane's logic here. So Tate Rodemaker has one start in his career, right? It was two years ago against Jacksonville State. It was somehow not the worst Jacksonville State game that Florida State. <laughs> uh, I think this is more of an indictment of what we're talking about, the fact that this is even in consideration, more of an indictment of our lack of confidence in A.J. Duffy right now is that fair like I'm, and i'm not trying to say we're, we're off of him totally that there's no chance but uh the the fact that he went through the season and did not show a sign of like enough glimmers of like oh he might be the guy to leave it open for the next guy i think that's what this is i think that's what we're all kind of dancing around here i think that's why i'm yeah. also buying brooklyn having a chance to start six games in his career i don't know if the other two get that or not yeah, I think I think we thought AJ Duffy would be further along in his development, seemingly to our, you know, moderately untrained, untrained eyes, eyes yeah. than than I don't remember what I just said, but yeah, we thought he'd be further along, I think. 
That was a good point you were making, Dane. Yeah. I liked it. Okay. So. Um, no, I, yeah, I want to say, I, like, I, I agree with that. Like, I think if you're going to say that um, this is more of us talking specifically about Duffy and his development. Um, the one thing I want to note is like, you know, I've, I've harped on Duffy's um, game, you know, a good amount, like during practices and just, you know, wanted to see him step up a little bit more, um, right. If there's guys maybe not participating, participating in practice ahead of him on the depth chart, we didn't really see him take advantage of those opportunities. So um, I think that's kind of something I wanted to see more out of him. But I think if we've learned anything about Mike Norvell and his quarterbacks, it's to not count any of them out for a massive improvement in their game over their career. And AJ Duffy's a true freshman. So let's see what he does in spring and beyond um, and see if that his game has improved. Um, and I and I think there's a good chance that at the very least we're going to see some improvement, um, you know, in the spring and then, you know, as we head into the offseason and uh, in, in preseason camp. Okay, let's move on to running back. I think we have a pretty good grasp on what quarterback one looks like. We are excited to see how the younger guys develop in the spring. I think that'll be fun. Uh, and you have four quarterbacks uh, on scholarship, which is also nice. So let's go to running back. Uh, to bring back some really important pieces, we're going to start with Trey Benson. Uh, but but I guess before we get into what you have coming back, let's talk about what you leave. And that is Trey Sean Ward. Uh, he was the ACC's leader in yards per carry this past year. Uh, someone who's been a just really solid option each of the last two years for the Seminoles. Uh, so everyone likes him. coaches, players, fans, obviously like he is well-regarded, well-liked uh, FSU kind of taken a gamble here. They basically could not assure Trayshawn Ward that they can give him the usage of about 15 or so carries or touches a game closer to 10. I know it doesn't sound like a huge discrepancy, but throughout the course of a season, like that, that does add up. Uh, and basically that's the difference in Mike Norvell's system between being running back one versus running back two or even even three based on how uh, balanced he likes to be. Uh, Dane, I'll start with you, man. Like, is this a gamble to let Trayshawn Ward walk given what we we know uh, about his game and, and I guess his consistency? He is a really good player, and I think he's a unique player. He offers a, a physical ability in his lateral movement and his patience and vision, that sort of thing, especially in like a counter scheme that you might not have elsewhere. But I think, but I think it's hard to say that too because your running back room is so deep, and it's also, I mean, it, it's a running back in Mike Norvell's offense. It's not, it's you don't have to find a special player to succeed in that, but you do have Trey Benson who is you know, such a good player in his own right. And you have these guys behind him. Like, I mean, a lot of fans don't, won't give him the respect he I think deserves yet because he hasn't proven it on the field, but a guy like Rodney Hill, who I think is fantastic. I mean, I, he's a really good player and people will see that this upcoming year. Um, you know, it's not worth it. Might, it I can understand why they wouldn't, think keeping Treshawn is is like a dire need because of how deep your room is and how much talent younger talent you have that you don't want to let go of the that either like so, a Rodney Hill so when you take a step back and I do want to spend some time on Rodney Hill because I I, I think we're going to battle like who the president of the Rodney Hill fan club is I think there's three or four of us who uh will will take a swing to to see who gets them uh who gets to be the president of that but uh we'll start at the top and this is why I think the gamble you you take um why you end up making it. And that is Trey Benson. Uh, he was 10 yards shy of a thousand yards. What he did in the back stretch of the season was remarkable. He had a hundred yards and almost, I, I, was it 
four games, five games in a row. Uh, he was he was fantastic. And uh, what he did from a physicality standpoint, like once he got ahead of steam, uh, was also exceptional. He averaged a little bit more than six yards per carry, but he broke a tackle, according to PFF. Uh, he basically broke a tackle on like every every two of his carries. Like half the time he was breaking the tackle. Uh, a lot of the times that was multiple tackles he was breaking on one run. I mean, he he has so much juice to him as a runner. Uh, Brett, I'll throw this to you. Like As we got to see Trey Benson evolve throughout the course of the season, uh, what was his peak? Like, uh, what was at his best? What was he as a as a force, as like a, a consistent weapon for FSU's offense? How would you describe his game? Just someone that can completely put an offense on its back, even – when a defensive line has a bunch of guys in the backfield, Trey Benson's still going to turn those runs into possible explosive plays. Like there's not many other college running backs that you can say that about. And I mean, just from preseason, I think we all kind of saw the explosiveness and how he can turn one little hole into, you know, a 60 yard run just off the way he's able to cut and go down the field. And I mean, I just think the the peak of the season for him was that five game stretch you mentioned when, when Trey was out. And I think, uh, I think, you know, that was probably the time that the coaching staff realized, you know, if Trey was to leave next year, we'd be okay with uh, Benson as our, our number one guy all season and, and carrying the load from here on out. Uh, with Trey Benson, I think like, <laughs> I think this, I wasn't sure if Zach was going to talk or not. Sorry, Zach, that's my fault. Cause I was pointing at the hit the like button and you get the thumbs up. And I thought you meant like I was going to go, but I, I got it now. Like button. I got it. I get it. Moving, moving it along here. Uh, with, with Trey Benson, it's been such an amazing off season with retention. It feels how, like it was, I guess a month ago when Trey Benson said he was coming, the Turner group, uh, a month ago with Trey Benson said he was coming back, but it feels like an eternity ago because yeah. he was one of the first dominoes to fall. It's been such a great off season with retention. Uh, the battles end. uh, shout out to them because they are doing a phenomenal job there. And, and what I think is a, a sliver of like uh, value of, of being able to find some, some value in the margins there. Uh, but Zach, so talk about the, the running back room. Trey Benson highlights it. You know what you have with him. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see if he can uh, really put the offense on his back consistently. Like Brett said, he, he did it for games at a time. Can he do it for an entire season? Uh, but what does the rest of the running back room look like to you? And I guess what are the complementary pieces to Trey Benson's game? Yeah, so if you look at um, the rest of that room, right, there's a lot of unproven talent, um, but I think – you know, when you're talking about a gamble, right? Um, I think that's what you're talking about the most is there's a lot of guys in that room that, you know, the staff, us that get to watch the practices every day during the fall, think very highly of, but have not proven much on the field yet. But if you look at a guy like CJ Campbell, who I think kind of gets overlooked a little bit, um, every time he came to the game um, as a reserve guy towards the latter portion of the season, because they were blowing those teams out, he was you know, marching it down the field with Tate Roadmaker and AJ Duffy and going and scoring touchdowns. Right. Um, and, and that's, you know, if Ronnie Hill was a guy that you weren't trying, that the staff wasn't trying to redshirt, that would have been him in that position because he is probably ahead of CJ Campbell on the depth chart. Um, I think we all believe that. Um, and then you have a guy like Keziah Holmes, who is, I think even a little bit more of a mystery because he was, you know, a late addition from Penn state, a guy that kind of, uh, at least at the very uh, beginning of his FSU career, walked on to the team um, before the 2022 season, um, kind of was a late addition in fall camp. 
And then we got to see him kind of progress um, as a scout team guy for FSU um, this past year. So excited to see kind of what they can maybe unlock with his game. Um, I know out of high school, he was a really versatile athlete, guy that could catch balls out of the backfield. Um, He's definitely bulked up more since high school. Um, He was more of a slender, taller uh, back out of high school, but um, he went to Penn State and kind of put on some weight. I think he put on some bad weight at Penn State, but um, I think he's kind of shed off a lot of that bad weight um, since he's come to FSU. And I think, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a good rotation behind Trey Benson. Um, but I think the main thing is that they're unproven. Um, but I think this offseason is going to be huge for those guys as they get more reps in practice and spring ball and then obviously work with the team um, in offseason you know, conditioning this month um, and then moving into, uh, you know, the summer conditioning and preseason camp. So, yeah, I'm excited about it. Um, I think a lot of people are going to be happy about Rodney Hill um, and just, you know, how impressive he looks. I am the president of that club. I met him first before all of you guys covered his recruitment. Actually was the um, person that. Oh, Zach got muted there. I didn't like the way that was going. Uh, I didn't I didn't like the way that was going at all. Dane, uh, would you rather be the president of the Rodney Hill fan club or the Darren Williamson fan club? <laughs> <laughs> Um, a reminder, Zach, that you are, uh, this is live. So you do have the Chris Parson, uh, screensaver. Um, it's no longer just, that's my fan club. Um, I think Rodney Hill is going to be more productive next year, but I think it'd be more fun to see him. The member of the, uh, the the stock is much lower on Darren Williamson and I'm willing to, to put just as much in. I'll say that. Okay. We'll do Darian. We'll do like an individual player draft, like not like a team draft, but like we'll do fan club draft at some I, point in the offseason. I, I just need I need people to understand how good Darion Williamson is. I need it to happen. I, I thought I was high on him and maybe a tad hyperbolic at times. I've never done that, Wyatt Rector. Uh and then and then Dane started comparing him to Justin Jefferson. <laughs> <laughs> like, All right, man. I'm out. You got you got me. You got me. Uh, <laughs> All right, let's talk about uh, He's a six-three slot receiver with day let's two. Let's go back. Uh, oh, sorry, I need to keep us on track. The, the, the defensive uh, segment that we do tomorrow with uh, the X's and O's guys and Chris Knee is going to be so much more on on pace than what we're doing with me here leading the ship. Um, Brett's laughing because he knows it's absolutely true. Uh, true. What do we like, fellas, about Rodney Hill's game? We're all super high on him. He is probably the replacement uh, to to uh, Treshawn Ward. We know what what Trey Benson is. We know what Lawrence Tofilly is going to be as his gadget player. What does Rodney Hill do well? Why are we so excited about him? Uh, whoever wants it, take the floor. Not everyone at once. Dane, you go. That Why is going to be awesome for our podcast uh, crowd. I'm rather used to it. Um, I, I, Rodney Hill, his burst is probably, uh, I, I was going to say probably the best in the roster, but Trey Benson is pretty exceptional burst too, at least for his size. But, um, Rodney Hill's burst is really incredible. I think it's hard to see how good someone's vision is like on tape, but he's a guy that you can kind of see it on like in high school that, that felt like one of his strong points or his, his strengths is the word I'm looking for. Um, and yeah, he, like Brendan was talking about his, his tackle breaking ability, like for his size as just a freshman, he came in as, what did he come in at when he enrolled like 174 pounds or something? And by the end of the year, he looks like a guy with, you know, huge legs and great tackling ability and or great tackle breaking ability. And uh, he definitely didn't lose a step in that burst. So 
you, you two down there, Dane and Zach, when one of the other ones screws up, the joy that the other one takes in it. Oh, just... I wasn't actually laughing about that. Okay. Be nice to each other. Yeah. Dane's yeah. More, Dane's you made me feel bad, not Zach. Oh. Me? Yeah. No, never mind. Well, <laughs> go ahead. I like that Rodney Hill, uh, to Dane's point about uh, him bulking up a little bit, his contact balance for a quote-unquote smaller guy like i think that's actually really surprising and really pleasant and like makes me think that he will be uh, a dude in a couple of years and this is how i've described on the message board like the people that are upset about treshawn ward leaving like i get it like i do i really like treshawn we all like treshawn ward. we feel like we qualify this all the time we all like treshawn ward you have him for probably one more season uh, he's a redshirt sophomore he'll be a redshirt junior but with the covid year he's like he's gonna be a fifth year player uh next year you have him for one more year if he were to stay at florida state if he were to stay at Florida State, the carries for Rodney Hill would be minimal, uh, much like they were this year probably, and there's a decent chance Rodney Hill transfers out. To me, I'm doing the math of would I rather have Rodney Hill for two more seasons, three more seasons, or Trayshawn Ward for one. That is a gamble. We've talked about gambling a few times on this show. Uh, that's kind of what you're balancing at this point with the roster. It's gotten to the point where uh, you're taking calculated risks uh, at different position groups. Uh, in, a, in a good way, in a way that like you feel like you have decent options in your in your backups, your younger players might be ready to jump the veterans. That wasn't always the case. So uh, that's what we got with the running back room before we move on there. Buyer Sinone, sponsored by? The Turner Group. The Turner Group. Buy or Sinone running back room, Kaziah Holmes. Brett, I'll start with you. We buying, we Sinone in, Kaziah Holmes hype. Sinone. Mm, Dane? Not enough reps. Where? What is the uh, the bar we're setting? The fan base on the message board's obsession with him. Yeah, no, so no, it's we can calm down a little bit. But you know, maybe a really good ceiling there. I think he looks the part, so there's that. But he, it's not like he was like some unbelievable get out of the portal or something. You can chill out a little bit. <laughs> go, keep going until get Dane muted. Yeah, I mean the obsession is a little crazy, um, but I think that happens with pretty much any like know hyped player that's kind of behind the scenes and it's not really seen much on game days right they're like oh this guy might be a dude um i mean we get to see him um he's not you know breaking open the defense every play but he has some promise to him but also known the the crazy hype over him um i think he's a guy that can maybe contribute for you down the line but i wouldn't expect him to be a dude in, in 2023 at this point uh make it a sinone all around tap the brakes a little bit on Kaziah Holmes, at least as an immediate impact player, someone who factors into rotation, maybe over time, we will see. Uh, let's talk about the tight end group one that we've alluded to a few times here, because it is going to, uh, as the kids would say, a glow up, right? Is, is that right? Young fellas glow up. Just move on. <laughs> uh, Day, let's talk about the two transfers that FSU's brought in. That's why we're excited about this group. Jaheim Bell, Kyle Morlock, both four-star recruits. Jaheim Bell is one of the top skill players in the transfer portal. They get a 94 grade. Yeah, he's uh, eight overall. So he's, top, so he's top 10. Kyle Morlock, not super far behind, I think, with a 91 or 92 grade mm-hmm. off the top of my head. Uh, and he's coming up from the Division two level. So a little different, right? Jaheim Bell was, was a baller in the SEC uh, at FSU's filter feeder program uh, up in South Carolina, uh, Kyle Morlock D2. So two different trajectories, both guys they want to use this year. Can you evaluate their games, what they do similarly, and, and maybe what they do differently, what stands out to you in watching them? I think they both have a ton of upside. I think they're very different players, which is a good thing in taking two tight ends from the portal. Um, Kyle Morlock is more of a guy with with 
obvious NFL upside as like a true tight end being six, seven to 45, whatever he is and having the physical ability that he has. He's not, I think there is a bit of a misconception with some people thinking that like Jaheim Bell is this great receiving tight end and Kyle Morlock is just more of the blocker, but Kyle Morlock can, can has so much receiving capability too. You know, he is more of an NFL tight end prospect um, than Jaheim Bell is. So he, the sky's the limit for him. I think he runs so well, moves so well in open space is, you know, I, I want to say his ball skills are good, but his, his fluidity as an athlete at six, seven is really impressive. And that's understated, sure. I think. And then, and then Jaheim Bell, ah, dang it. <laughs> okay. But Jaheim Bell is more of the, is more of the receiving guy because I think, I think Jaheim Bell is more one-dimensional than Kyle Morlock, but that's not necessarily bad because Jaheim Bell is, is an elite receiving tight end at the college level. Um, I got to stop looking at Brendan. Well, just, I, I know what you mean by saying, <laughs> by saying Jaheim Bell is more one dimensional, but at the same time, he might be the most versatile player uh, in the roster too. So. And, I, and I'm getting to that he, <laughs> from a matchup standpoint um, in the receiving game. Uh, I think he is, he's, you know, people say matchup nightmare. He is absolutely that uh, as a tight end getting matched up on linebackers. He has way too much, athletic capability to uh to be put you know for a team to put a linebacker on them and then you can line them out wide up out wide like south carolina did at times and uh and on a corner i feel like at, at the college level he kind of reminds me of like of like an aj brown or something like um just someone who just physically outmatches the person and uh the guy lining up on him and he's a bit unguardable in that sense i don't know i don't know if i'm overselling it but think he's i mean he the aj so brown comp was rich but i i think your point's well taken dude kind of what aj brown does though he can just physically outmatch corners even though he's not just much bigger much taller than them like what's jaheim bell six threes let's say six three six two and a half mm-hmm. and um but he does physically outmatch people dane is exhibiting excitement which i think is like that we all feel it's like i'm not teasing you Dan. like i think we all feel like excitement of like when you start daydreaming of like what what those two tight ends can do on the field at the same time. We know Mike Norvell likes to use two tight ends quite a bit. Uh, and they both present as, as Dane said, uh, matchup nightmares. Oh, hey, here we go. What's uh what's scarier, a matchup nightmare or a matchup monster, a mismatch monster or a matchup nightmare. What's scarier. Matchup nightmare. Matchup nightmare. I mean, that's, that's fear, you know, right. fear is fear. Mismatch monster monster kind of sounds lame. Yeah. Well, I won't use that in my writing. That sounds anymore. like a cereal. That sounds like a cereal or something. <laughs> no, you use, use mismatch monster. That's a little bit more original. But yeah, it does sound like it's mismatch monster and count chocula or something. I hate, <laughs> you, know? I hate you guys. So, so those are the two additions that uh, have us all really excited about like the creativity that yeah, just shotgun that beer did. That the, the the creativity that Mark Novell can kind of implement on offense. Uh, but Brett, what what else is coming back at tight end? Because I, I think finally uh, you're starting to see the numbers at tight end kind of like it doesn't feel like overkill anymore. It feels like everyone is slotted correctly, and, and to me that that's encouraging. Yeah, obviously on the depth chart you have Mark Houston coming back, big body that can also you know score some touchdowns for you. They showed late in the season and in the Oklahoma game, and he also showed some soft hands earlier in the year. Just 
with some one hand one handed catches, um, but also Brian Courtney coming back just brings a different athletic dynamic to that room. I think at least this past year in practices, I always thought that out of the tight ends, athletically, he stood out by by far from from all the rest of those guys and in the way he could move and the fluidity that he that he moved with on the field. Uh, Dane, in the chat, people are asking for you, for you to show your feet. This is going off the rails quickly. I think we need to hurry this one along. Wow. Uh, I agree with everything that Brett said. Uh, but in, in the interest of moving around, Byers Sonome presented by? The Turner Group. All right. The Turner uh, Group. The Turner Group. Uh, Byers Sonome. This, the, the tight end. <laughs> the tight end overall was a bigger single season overhaul than wide receiver last year. Mm-hmm. Bye. Making you guys think. Oh, Dane with the buy. It's, it's how, how easier... are you? De- well, I'm no. going to do that, bro. Right? Mm-hmm. How so are you no. defining it? Well, I how was gonna defi- say that it's it's harder to flip a wide receiver room because you need more players, and so it's like easier to flip a tight end room, especially with how how bad Florida State was. But um, but you pulled two fantastic tight end out of the portal, and that room is completely flipped. I mean, you have two totally different types of players that you brought in uh, both with more physical capability um, and a higher ceiling than the guys you already have in that room and, and higher floor, everything. I mean, those two guys are both very good players for you or at least good contributors above average ACC tight ends. And you didn't have that before. Uh, I'm with Dane. I think it's a buy uh, the waters and we know what the wide receiver room turned into last year and how low of a floor it was, but like, People were talking about the tight end room being the worst position group on the roster this year. I think FSU maximized it as well as possible. Um, but still, like, this this was a position group that you had to be very creative with in kind of, like, highlighting strengths and hiding weaknesses. Uh, you're really not hiding anything moving forward in 2023. Oh, Zach's waving the finger. Zach disagrees. Right, you go first. I would soon this because I don't know how you're defining bigger. I don't really – I don't, but I think value wise, like that wide receiver room flip made a way bigger difference. Like if this tight end had, if the tight end room was flipped last year and the wide receiver room wasn't, like it wouldn't have made the same difference on the offense. Getting the wide receivers that they got this year completely changed the way they were able to open up the offense. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, our podcast crowd hates us. All right. Um, yeah, I agree with Brett, right? I think that the bigger impact is like if you can flip an entire receiver room to becoming like from it was literally the worst part of your team in 2021, I think, to becoming maybe your top one, two, three um strengths in 2022. I think that was huge. I'm synoning that all the way, even though I really like what they did um in flipping the tight end room. And also we don't know, I, I think you know, we know pretty well what Jaheim Bell is going to be. We don't know exactly how Mike Norvell is going to utilize him in the offense, but um, Kyle Morlock's making a, a step up from Division II football to Power 5, you know, big-time football. So um, I think there'll be a little acclimation process with him, and he's a guy that has multiple years to play at FSU. So even if he doesn't make a massive impact in year one, um, he could be a guy that you could be more excited about uh, in, in years to come. So yeah, I'm still noting that. I think uh, I think the receiver hall was just way more impressive. 
somehow there's still 250 people watching this and they've been watching it consistently. God bless you guys. What's wrong with you guys? There's there's something else <laughs> there's something else I want to say on that too. But oh, um, good. but I mean, we haven't seen this tight end room. We haven't seen it play out. Like if we said this last offseason, if we just saw what the guys they pulled in, Micah Pittman, you know, Winston Wright, um, you know, that kind of I don't know if that doesn't count or what there's an asterisk there, and Johnny Wilson and Deuce Span. Um you know, if we saw that before the season versus what we have now before this upcoming 2023 season, I think the obvious answer would be this tight end room. But that room overperformed expectations so much. And so it's kind of it's hard to answer that question. But I think from a, like a recruiting standpoint, you have to say that this tight end hall was was far more impressive. That's a perfect transition to the next position group we're going to get to, and that is the wide receivers. It was one, I think, Dan, you summed it up perfectly, uh, that it overachieved expectations. And by the time preseason camp rolled around and we were like a week or two into it, the light bulb kind of turned on for Johnny Wilson. Things started to click, and he started to look like the part of a wide receiver one with some days of drops. Right. And that's kind of what his season ended up turning into, where he had these flashes of brilliance. He had, uh, let's see, 43 catches for 897 yards. That's a whopping 20.86 yards per carry. That's among the national leaders, five touchdowns uh, in some dominant games, uh, especially Louisville and Oklahoma come to mind. Uh, so he he ends up being your wide receiver one, something that this offense was certainly missing the last couple of years. You get Johnny Wilson back. Uh, that was announced with the battles. Then he's coming back. Micah Pittman as well, who is a rock-solid uh, transfer wide receiver, really helped out with the punt return game, add stability there, and, and kind of a gadgety player who did a lot of things well, including blocking on the perimeter. Uh, so we know those two are coming back. Uh, but with Johnny Wilson specifically, fellas, uh, Zach, I'll start with you. Uh, what, I guess, is like the next step for Johnny Wilson? We talk about like some flashes of brilliance for him, someone who decided to not go pro. I guess, what are we looking for from him in 2023 for FSU to win a couple extra games? Don't drop the football. That's reasonable. Yeah. Um, I think that's the biggest part. And I think another underrated thing that, I, that he can improve on is being more of a red zone threat. We saw him be a red zone threat. I mean, and I'll get into it in a second, but we saw him be a red zone threat in like a game like Louisville, right? Um, he stepped up when FSU needed him most and Tate Roadmaker needed him most. Um and, and created some some huge plays uh, towards the, the later portion of that game. But I think maybe, you know, maybe even if it's a Mike Norvell thing or Jordan Travis thing, use Johnny Wilson in the red zone more, have him utilize that that size to go up and get the ball. Um, I think that's uh, an area FSU can improve on um, with his, you know, how they utilize him um, in 2023. Obviously, I think the most obvious or apparent one is he needs to catch the ball more consistently. Um, I mean, he probably goes for 250 plus yards in the Oklahoma game. If he catches that, that deep one. Um, and, you know, I think he had another drop that night. He's had multiple other important drops throughout the season and As don't get me state. wrong. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. He's been a clutch player for Florida state, but for a guy that has NFL aspirations, that's a part of his game that um, both FSU fans want to see improve. And obviously NFL evaluators want to see improve if they're going to, take him in as a high draft pick, which we all think he's capable of being. 
So FSU does lose. So you know what you have coming back with Johnny Wilson. We'll see what steps he takes. You know what you have with Micah Pittman. FSU loses Ontario Wilson, who quietly had 495 receiving yards, 30 receptions, career highs for him, uh, four touchdowns, uh, and really was a solid number two slash number three option with Micah Pittman. Uh, and that's what we always said, like, Ontario Wilson should be, uh, is probably like a number three guy. And you got to finally see, like, when he wasn't, getting the majority of, of the coverage, uh, you know, safety shading over him. We're more going to Johnny Wilson. Pokey got some one-on-ones. You got to see some agility, some deep speed, uh, athleticism. Uh, Brett, I, I guess, will it be difficult in your estimation to replace Pokey Wilson? I, I My thought is like he's kind of a sneaky hard guy to replace, but I want to get your thoughts on it. I don't know if I would say he's super hard to replace. I mean, AB would. Where's AB in the chat? He just put Pokey for MVP. There we go. <laughs> but I mean, he's just, he's your number two wide receiver and you have guys like you guys have mentioned, Darion Williamson is someone you expect to break out. I mean, you have Kentron, you have the freshman coming in, like you have depth. It's not like you're, you're turning around and saying like, who do we have here to step in? So I don't think it will be too hard to replace him. I do think it will be, you know, a bit by committee with a bunch of these guys breaking out a bit and getting some more reps. Um, but you know, I know you guys are the fan, the presidents of the Darien uh, fan club. We are the co-presidents. Dan and I are, are battling that, although the Justin Jefferson cop has got me a little shook right now. I think they might win that one. This kind of sucks. Uh, Dane, <laughs> Dane, we look at the wide receiver <clears throat> composition. Uh, should FSU, this was a, a pretty common top talking point on the message board a couple of weeks ago. I think had to slow down. I think it'll probably pick back up with the Malik McLean transfer. Should FSU have gone after a wide receiver transfer to kind of round out that room? Like, do you think that was something that, that you would have, if you were GM Dane Draper, would you have, have maybe targeted a, a transfer receiver? No, I think your room is so full and you have guys with, with different, you know, versatile skill sets. I don't think you really need to do that, especially when you're trying to like allocate, resources i guess and you are you're so limited on scholarships that sort of thing i don't think that would have been a great usage i mean we still have needs of course still has needs you know you want well i was gonna say you, you want a defensive end i guess you got that in gilbert edmund you want uh, another defensive back that sort of thing oh god um uh, let's look at the comment uh don't anyway look, don't, look at, don't look at the comments when you're talking just keep pushing along it's a good close advice <laughs> but um but no i wouldn't have i think i mean pokey obviously i guess he moved on from that but like a guy like pokey if you were to replace him he's the obvious guy you would try to look to replace and he offers experience and he's someone who can take the top off the defense and so maybe you want to go get a guy like that but i think another year for all these guys coming back um and a lot of good athletes i mean you have a like a guy like to span to me, if you're looking for someone who can take the top off a of defense, I think he can certainly do that with a year of development. Um, maybe Hakeem Williams can even do that. I mean, he really is an exceptional athlete. Uh, someone like that, you know, another year of Kentron Portier. Um, we'll see, but I, I think I think that room is loaded enough to where you don't need to go out and, you know, unload into like some special guy in the portal. Uh, kids show. <laughs> all right Dave, dave's muting for a little bit time out Dave. <laughs> recover you, you almost had it there buddy you're down at the end uh as keith gordon correctly points out in the in the chat 
God, this needs to end soon. Uh, Ja'Kai Douglas wasn't even mentioned, and like he's someone that came back from the shoulder injury late last season. Welcome back, Dane. And he he flashed, like, and he's ended both of the last two years on a pretty high note. So there's cert- something there with him. Uh, Winston Wright is someone that we've kind of uh, talked about briefly. Like, if he gets back to his pre-injury form, and I still think that's an if. Like, I'm not banking on that being a surefire thing at this point. Uh, but if that does happen, and I think this spring will probably be a good indicator. He'll be a year removed from the injury of like how much strides he's made and and a few months span of you know the offseason program. If he gets back to his, his pre-injury form, I think then you're cooking with fire. Like then you're you're talking about depth and versatility and different body types, and there's a lot there. Uh, we've we've hinted at this one, Zach. I'll let you talk about him because you covered his recruiting uh, as well. No, not as well, like better than anyone nationally. And that was the hiking Williams recruitment. He's a guy that I think is still raw, but like, man, there's some skill sets there that you just can't teach. Uh, do we think he's like a day one contributor? I guess, how are we going into the spring viewing, judging, grading Hiking Williams? The thing that's so intriguing to me about Hiking Williams is I don't think the way he was utilized in high school is the way he's going to be utilized in Mike Norvell's offensive scheme at all, right? I think there's part of his game um, you know, at the high school level, right? You see some of the the stuff. Um, a lot of the a lot of the concepts his team ran at Strahan, uh, short concept, a lot of screens. Um, basically, get the hiking get hiking the ball as fast as possible and let him do what he does best and go make plays down the field. Um, there weren't a lot of you know deep extended routes. Um, that's just not what Strahan does, and they're more up tempo. Uh, wanted to get the ball out quick and. You know, obviously FSU has more of a luxury of, of being able to have plays develop. And I think that's what I'm most excited about with Hakeem in the spring. Um, I don't know as to whether he'll be a day one starter type, right? Like, I don't expect that. I think Hakeem is a little bit ways to go in just, you know, finding out his role as a true college wide receiver. Um, but, I mean, he's done it against the best competition in South Florida, um, you know, he'd show up for huge games. So I'm not worried about the transition. I'm worried about, or not worried, but I want to see him make that move to what Mike Norvell wants him to be and Ron Dugans want, wants him to be within that receiver room. Um, I think the sky's the limit for Hakeem. I think he's a, a superb athlete, um, You know, probably one of the best overall athletes on the football team. And I think he carries himself in a very professional way. And I think that's going to, they help him get on the field um, as soon as possible. All right. Byer Sinone with the wide receiver group sponsored by the Turner group. Everyone the Turner the group. Chat. Yeah, there we go. Everyone in the chat, jump on in. Uh, Byer Sinone. <laughs> Good job, Dave. Byer Sinone, Destin Hill. Sinone. 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 Not that he exists. I think we all buy that he exists at this point. He is a person. Uh, him being on the roster in 2023. Uh, who reported that, Zach? Sam Spiegelman, is that right? Yeah, from on three. Um, right. You know, I don't, I'm not going to like sit here and, you know, doubt anyone's report, but. No, just, you just guys just yeah. at Sam Spiegelman if he doesn't show up in the spring. I don't want that upload on my hand. And if he does yeah. uh, retweet him and he was right and good on him, that is not a risk that I was. Yeah, I put more, I put, you know, admittedly, I put more. Uh, Fuel in the fire yesterday when I tweeted out that Pat Sertan, the high school he attended was Edna Carr oh. in New Orleans, Louisiana. 
and that is where Destin Hill attended during his high school career, which seems like forever ago at this point. I mean, it was about three years ago. Uh, yeah, you're, you challenged your, your inner Newberg there to uh, just kind of stir the pot. Stir the pot. There is no need to mention I where Pat Stan went. He did. All right, last position group, mercifully almost done here. The offensive line, the trenches. Uh, A.B., if you're here with us, jump in the chat and just say hello because we're going to talk about the big uglies up front. Although there's some, you know, decent, handsome young men. Oh, never mind. Kid show. Live. Brent. Can't undo that one. Did you have anyway. dreams about them too? Mm-hmm. I'm sure he did. <laughs> offensive line, uh, this – is an interesting position group because the additions uh, to me in the transfer portal are as significant as the departures and the departures were significant. Like you're talking about all ACC first team offensive lineman at left guard, Dylan Gibbons. Uh, then Demetri Emanuel was at right guard. I think it was a third team, all ACC player. And then Jason Turnitin was your swing tackle ended up playing more than 600 snaps though. So uh, much more than the swing tackle, right? And and he ended up grading out fairly well by PFF, I think 60 to 65, like he was replacement level. Uh, so those are three uh, pretty important pieces that you have to replace. And how does FSU go about replacing them? Well, one, they're, they're banking on returning players to an extent, but then two, uh, the transfer portal. Uh, the transfer portal was huge for FSU. Literally, figuratively, you add like three, 310 to 340 pounders on the offensive line and Jeremiah Byers, Kendra Jones, and Casey Roddick. And that goes into the returners as well with Robert Scott, Maurice Smith, Darius Washington. Uh, Zach, I, I guess, how do you think all these pieces kind of meld? And I'm not even talking Bless Harris. I mean, there's other pieces as well. How do they all kind of meld and blend together as you see it? And I guess, what are you looking for this spring from that position group? Yeah, well, like you mentioned, you you lose Gibbons and, and Emmanuel, who are, you know, you're both both of your starting guards. So it was important for FSU to attack the portal uh, along the offensive line and specifically the guard position um, with guys like Keandre Jones, Casey Roddick, and uh, even Jeremiah Byers, who I think could could play either guard or right tackle. Um, and then you return some some important pieces, and I think you have some really talented freshman pieces that should you know, hopefully take steps in their game over the next, you know, eight months. And um, like a guy like Julian Armella, Jalen Early, you have more veteran depth pieces like Thomas Schrader, um, Bryson Estes, who are interior guys. So, um, you know, Julian Armella and and, uh, Jalen Early could be more tackle bodies for you. But um, I'm really encouraged by both the guys FSU brought in to help alleviate some of that immediate need um, for replacements along the line. And I think that only helps to allow for more development for a guy like Julian Armella, um, who we all think has a really bright future at Florida State. And then Jalen Early, who was promising uh, at practice for FSU and is someone that the staff thinks very highly of. Um, And I'm not mentioning a bunch of guys, I'm sure. Um, That whole freshman class was really talented. I know, you know, uh, Quayshon Sapp is a guy that was a true freshman this past season that FSU thinks could maybe be a really talented center down the line for them or a guard. Um, and there's a bunch of other guys in that class that, that FSU is high on. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited to see kind of how that offensive line group molds together. Right. Um, that was a group that, that um, definitely had to replace some guys along the line. I didn't even mention a guy like bless Harris, who was injured in FSU's first game last season, who went into the season as a starting um, 
tackle for, for the team. So um, that's another piece you get back. And, and yeah, I just think it can be a really talented group in a, in a group that we've, um, you know, they've been trying to build towards this, but a group with more depth than maybe we've seen during the entirety of Mike Norvell's era uh, at Florida State. I think that's almost for certain. Where do we think Jeremiah Byers lines up at? He was the UTEP offensive tackle transfer, uh, someone that we liked, I think, before he entered the portal. We're starting to do some research. Dane, Zach, and I enters the portal, ends up at Florida State, played right tackle at UTEP. But where do we think he ends up at FSU guard, tackle? What are we looking at, fellas? I think he most likely projects as a guard, right? Especially uh, at the NFL, I think um, he's more of that type of body. But the fact that that question can be asked and he can play tackle at a high level, especially right tackle, um, potentially even left tackle, who knows? But that positional versatility is something that Coach Alex Atkins has valued a lot, and that's something that Byers definitely has. But I feel like guard's probably the most likely. You'd agree, right? I think they'll start in that guard. Yeah. So uh, I think that's ideally, like, yes, I, I'm with Dane. Like, that's where he probably projects at the NFL level. Uh, because of his size, he's six foot four, so he doesn't have, like, prototypical offensive tackle size. But, like, the feet and the quickness, like, they're – he does have the ability to play tackle. But, like, we got to start looking, like, optimally, like, what's your, your best five, right? Yeah, you got to look at the other pieces. Uh, so I'm going to throw this to, to Brett then the the dubious task of projecting what this offensive line will look like without having any information of the spring and, and who goes where and, and how they look at those positions. What do you think the day one offensive line will look like from left to right? Uh, have, have <clears throat> sure. Thanks. Thanks, Brendan. Mm-hmm. I'd probably go Brett's Rob Scott at left tackle. Okay. Casey Roddick, left guard. Maurice at center. Byers a right guard and bless it right tackle. Damn, that's what I was gonna do too. That's not as much fun. Um, don't sleep on Darius Washington to end the season off on a pretty high note, though. Um Byers at left guard is interesting because or excuse me, Roddick at left guard is interesting because he is gonna start his FSU career like learning how to snap the ball. Uh Byers Sinone, Turner group is snapping important to you guys. Oh, yeah, it's obviously important, Brennan. Let's move on. Bye. Sorry, Colin. Oh, bye, bye, bye. Look, turn a group. Check it out. <laughs> but, oh, I get it. But with Casey Roddick, so, like, there is a chance, like, what? okay, let's say Casey Roddick starts at center. Then what would that have meant to happen, like, in, in the spring? Does that mean that you love Keandre Jones so much that you have to play him at guard? Or does that mean that, that Roddick just, was that much better than Marie Smith? Like that's kind of what we're weighing here, like what happens and like the different variables. But having those variables is a really cool thing. Sure. That's something that FSU hasn't had the uh, opportunity to do in a while. I mean, the, the depth is impressive. They add, again, three experienced transfer portal guys with like more than a thousand career start or career starts, career snaps uh, for each of them. Uh, so yeah, that that's helpful. And then with we have coming back, we mentioned Julian Armella, Jalen Early. Like, is this dare I say the first time? Let, all right, let's end it on this note. Byers Sinone, the offensive line becomes a strength for FSU in 2023. I think by I I'm kind of optimistic bye. with that with you, Dane. Okay, Brett, you too. I yeah. think by Zach, come on. Four in a row. Let's go. <laughs> Strength around. compared to, like, how are we measuring it? At the scale of, like, yeah, oh, okay. is it or above? Just, 
is it an above average power five offensive line this year? Is it something that you can say you're winning on more often than not? You're not hiding. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy that. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. We're there. I think we're there. Yeah. Oh, AB, don't Sonona's in the chat. Wow. Screw you. <laughs> oh no. But having that depth that you have, you're you're a team with playoff aspirations, and having that sort of depth, I think, adds to that a lot too. But also having a guy like Jeremiah Byers that we're talking about, someone with like legitimate. I mean, he's someone that you can like expect maybe to be on like an all ACC team and like deservedly. So like he's legitimately one of the best guards in the ACC um, guy like that. And a guy like Rob Scott, who you expect to be pretty good. I don't know. You just have so many options and so many guys that you're optimistic about on that, in that group. Um, yeah, they should be, they should be better. I think. And that should be a strength because they weren't a terrible weakness at full strength this year, past year. I'm with you, Dane. I think that I think that's well said. All right, so let's let's end things here. We went position by position. Uh, we somehow went over like what would have been a full podcast, and then a position preview uh, off uh, like, not a position preview, a unit uh, preview podcast. An hour and thirty minutes with me rambling and uh, a lot of sophomore jokes going on. Uh, you guys are so mature. Uh, FSU starts Torah duty workouts on friday i'm not sure when the spring starts yet we don't have that date but probably like march the second week of march yeah we'll go to to early to mid april Uh, it's kind of the standard there how much better can this offense get this was a again a top 10 offense in yards per play from an efficiency standpoint uh top 20 offense in points per game so borderline elite it was very good to great can it go from great to to elite uh, my initial inclination, this is off season, right? We're lying right now. It was line season, but like, why not? Like you're bringing back almost everyone who matters. The players that you lose, I think you replace them with more talented players, at least more upside uh, based players. And, and so the potential to, to elevate, to escalate things, I think it exists. Does anyone like disagree? Or are we all kind of on the same page with that? I'm on the same page. I think objectively on paper, uh, you have a more talented offensive roster going into next season than you did in 2022. Um, It's just about how well does this new group, um, you know, it's a new group, even though you return a lot of uh, the guys from 2022, um, you have to get all these guys to gel and work together well. And I think that's uh, an important, you know, thing for, for Mike Norvell and their, in this team to accomplish. Um, heading into the, this upcoming season. I mean, that, that's what your goal is every year, but um, you're going to welcome a lot of new fen- faces along the offensive line. Your top two tight end contributors are probably going to be Jaheim Bell and Kyle Morlock. Um, and then, you know, obviously losing two of your uh, probably top five productive receivers in Malik McLean and Pokey Wilson, who steps up, right? We we are confident and we believe in some of the, the guys that are a little bit more unproven, but it's those guys' job to go up and, and rise to the occasion. And and, uh, and I think that, that'll be the ultimate tell on, on whether this uh, offense takes another step uh, in 2023. Uh, Brett and Dane, do you guys agree this offense poised to move forward? Brett, I'll start with you. Yeah, I agree. I think you're going to get better at basically every position except maybe running back because you lose Ward, but still there you get the potential of Hill taking his spot and maybe having even more of a burst and impact on the game than than Trey Trayshawn did at points. So I think 
when every position group's getting better that you expect the offense as a whole to get better? Do you know? Yeah, I mean, on paper, on paper, it's just objectively better, like Zach said, and that's all we can really go off of. So, yeah, and, and we were talking about earlier to begin with, I mean, it, whether Jordan Travis can get even better, there's no reason to doubt him because anytime anyone's doubted him since he's been at Florida State, they've been wrong. So there's no reason to think this offense would even stall, let alone regress. You'd expect if, them to get better. If I were to start a lawsuit against Florida State for stealing the JTRAV uh, nickname, would you guys join me in it, make it class action? Or? No, I hope you lose all your money. <laughs> no okay. comment. Brandon. All right. Thanks to everyone for watching this, uh, all 250 of you, for pretty much the entire episode. I don't know what you guys were doing with your time there, but it is appreciated. For everyone listening on the podcast version of this, I am sorry. I know I don't apologize as much as I used to on the podcast, but I do feel like I need to to apologize here. Uh, to Brett, to Dane, to Zach, thank you for joining me on this. Uh, in between the shenanigans, I think this was insightful and helpful to present what we think will be a really talented, a picture of a really talented offense in 2023. Uh, to remind you guys, tomorrow evening, on if you're listening to the podcast, it'll be tonight, it'll be Thursday evening. Uh, we will have another live show on the Nose 24-7 YouTube stream with Chris Knee and with the fellas of X's and Knowles to talk about the defense and kind of preview that group. So uh, I will say goodbye for the Nose 24-7 staff for now, and we will see you guys on Thursday evening. I'm Brendan Snow. has been on the bench, sticking to landing.